This is an excerpt from Different Ways, Revealing the Feminine, by Seal, published 2020. Chapter 22, The Chiron Adventure My idea to take a trip to Alaska to have a beer for my 50th birthday came about as a result of a conversation in a TV show. My brother had dropped by to visit my sister, Mom, and I. He brought pictures to share of a fancy Alaskan sports fishing adventure that he went on for his birthday that year. He asked me what I was going to do for my big 5-0 birthday next year, and I said offhandedly, as I flipped through the pictures of amazing landscapes, I don't know, maybe I'll go to Alaska for a beer. Even I thought it was an odd thing to say, and I rarely drink beer, but I had been wondering how I might celebrate this turning point year in my life, and I was clueless. I was in my hometown in California to help take care of my mother, who was succumbing to the throes of dementia at this time. She could be quite a handful at times and could not be left alone. Mom slept in the one bedroom in my sister's tiny cottage while my sister and I worked in tandem for her care. I worked mornings at a junior high library up the street, and my sister worked all night with a client in a client's home. I slept on the couch on days that my sister worked nights and had a little trailer in the backyard that I slept in when my sister had a night off to be home. Then she had the couch. It wasn't that bad, really. In fact, I enjoyed taking care of Mom. I was glad I could be there. It was a mutual benefit, really. A mother, and certainly my mother as a single parent, gives up a lot to care for her children when they are small. I was happy to return the favor. We had many tender moments in that year and a half, and doing the task of caring for her tapped into skills and abilities that I didn't even know I had, skills that would come in handy later. Because of Mom's dementia, we had to be very careful about what we watched on TV. If there was a child crying out in a program, Mom would obsess for hours looking for the baby that was crying. She would hide and be frightened if she heard gunfire and shouting as well. This limited our TV show choices to programming on religion, traveling, and sports fishing and such. One Sunday morning, I sat with Mom to watch TV, and there was a travel show that played sponsored by Princess Cruises, and it featured a tiny town in Alaska called Talkeetna. I was mesmerized as the camera swept across the little streets and through Fairview Bar with its bearskin tacked to the ceiling and the buffalo brooding from the wall. A scruffy musician crooned a folk tune from the corner. I lit up. There, I said aloud. I'm going there for my beer. This was in the fall of 2002, and it was shortly after that that I discovered, when googling Talkeetna, a couple, Jim and Esther, who ran the little internet station called Whole Wheat Radio from their 10 by 10 foot cabin there. The website was all very rudimentary. There was the information on the song that you could listen to and a chat bar to the side of that. I really balked at the chat option there. 
I knew little about what one could and couldn't do interfacing with computers. Likewise, I was clueless as to what going to strange places on the Internet could do to my setup. I languished over this for many weeks before I got the courage up with a friend to begin chatting with these people. Jim, the developer of the station, would shout out to the people listening. In the beginning, there was just a few of us. The technology allowed him to see magically where we were all from. While this is something we take for granted now, it was a marvel then. I was right back to where I was as a child with the enthusiasm of listening to radio and imagining the artists lined up outside the studio waiting to play. I felt this. It was almost too much for me to wrap my mind around because it was new, but also because I wasn't able to hear recorded music on the airwaves via frequency. But this, I suspect because it was digital, I could hear. Eventually, I could hear music on CDs, too. I was excited and very scared. My forays into chat were so anxiety-producing that I would lie in bed at night scolding myself for doing anything that might bring on a relapse of slipping into my painful past with radio. I was afraid of all of it. I still knew I had to do it somehow. I had to find a way to get over my fears. I figured this could be a blessing or a trap to finally drag me all the way under. Being a little scared is not a bad thing. A little apprehension won't kill a person. It heightens awareness and an appreciation for life, like hunger and anticipating a meal. Still, the stakes were high for me in this. By summer, I had things all lined up to travel to meet my new friends in Alaska. These two people who I did not know, I decided to trust. I needed to prove to myself that a person could be inspired to do something, and it didn't have to turn out bad. I felt I had to go. I had to try. I had been unable to actually hear recorded music for a decade in my mind. I was traveling to Whole Wheat Radio to get myself back from the previous trauma. I was running towards something again, but this time I tried to make sure I would be expected and welcomed, though there was no guarantee that anyone would be that happy to see me. It wasn't like it was their idea I should come. This was a new thing to meet people in real time that you met virtually. It wasn't done much in 2003, except by the exceptionally geeky computer-obsessed types who, I understood later, had been doing such things for more than a decade. I didn't know any of those. Jim, who built Whole Wheat Radio, was one in a sense, of course, but for most people at that time, it was unheard of to connect online and then meet in person. I was hugely excited and monumentally invested in this trip going well. Read sanely. What I got was beyond my wildest dreams. That is much thanks to Jim and Esther, who had their own concerns in having people descend on their private life because they openly shared their confidences and chatted folks up on their computer about themselves. This wasn't a one-lane anxiety highway. 
Still, when I arrived in Talkeetna, they had pulled out all the stops for me. They had decorated my room in the roadhouse and made time to show me around. Esther, who was a fine singer-songwriter and musician in her own right, had a show scheduled, and I got to see her perform live as I drank my birthday beer. I talked to the Whole Wheat Radio listeners, and I was interviewed from the station in their little cabin. Even a couple I knew from Arizona who I introduced to Whole Wheat Radio were touring Alaska. They made it a point to come up with me to help me celebrate my 50th birthday. The day after my arrival, I was included to go on a trip to the Alaskan bush to help a friend of Esther's get her cabin ready for the coming winter. In Tolkiedna, we hopped the whistle-stop train headed for Fairbanks and were dropped off in the middle of nowhere out in the bush when the stop request cord was pulled. It's a strangely frightening thing to see that train leaving you behind in the Alaskan bush. I was reminded with a shudder of Never Cry Wolf. The location of where people's cabins were was a real hush-hush affair in those parts, so there was a sense of secrecy and caution about where we were dropped off and how we hiked up to the friend's cabin. Once there, we got busy and took care of chores, dug up potatoes, checked the root cellar, and battened down the hatches in preparation for the winter snows. Esther organized an artsy watercolor recreation for us, and we spent a leisurely time painting a still life after all our chores were done. I got a tiny taste of what it is to be living in the Alaska bush, the vast sense of solitude with nature, large, wild, and unsympathetic, looming just outside the door. Obviously, it was not the full meal, but not everyone can live such a strenuous lifestyle. I found this quiet taste of what it was about to be a great gift. Flagging down the whistle-stop train to get back to Tokitna was how we returned, and this was done with critical precision. One had to be there on time, ready to swing up and on with all of their gear. It is not like the train is going to dawdle. Living in the Alaska bush is not for the infirm or sickly. It is a harsh and demanding lifestyle that these folks live. My heart was pounding in anticipation as the train slowed to pick us up. A step of some sort was thrown down and we scrambled to the boxcar with our gear. It was the smell that hit me first, a warm, coppery scent, heavy with musk and sweetness. My feet were slipping in something, too. As my eyes adjusted to the dark inside the car, I was surprised to find I was standing amid hanging carcasses of moose swaying with the movement of the train. It was fall and hunting season had just begun. The train was picking up the hunters with their kills. Some of the hunters stood, and some sat back reclining into their gear. They all looked rough, weathered, and beat. These were not prissy, fair-weather hunters who go out and seek some kind of trophy or aggrandizement to imbue themselves with an exotic affectation. These were people out rattling through the complex, harsh terrain of the Alaskan bush, rustling up dinner for winter. They stared at us blankly as the door was shut, and we lurched forward. 
Everything about my trip to Talkeetna was exciting and informative, and I felt very included. It was incredibly healing to be warmly swept up like that and cared for in such a way. I even got to hear that scruffy singer that I saw on the TV show perform. He was a friend of Esther's, and it turned out his name was Larry. It was all so far beyond what I dare expect. I was made to feel incredibly special, and it was so validating. I discovered I could find the courage to do something I was inspired to do, and things could turn out well. It made a huge impression on me for the rest of my life. I don't often get welcome places. That is just a fact. I suppose it is a combination of things, terrible timing, the legacy of my birth, karma, my insensitivity, speaking out of turn or clumsy social skills that throw up cautions and boundaries with people. Generally, however, I would burst onto the scene to either shock people or face a sense that I was completely invisible. I've been more unwelcome and tolerated than embraced in this life, and that is the naked truth. This 50-year celebration was pivotal with journeying back to retrieve myself from what was a debilitating event in my personal history. And it was not only a success, it was a fucking musical. I could hear music again, not only hear music, but discuss it, because Jim had set up the radio station to have a corresponding chat while listening to music. I could have whole conversations about the songs and the artists with the other music enthusiasts, and often the artists themselves. I could pick music to be played. I was in love with the accessibility of information and people on the Internet. Seriously, in love with it. As a marginalized person, it was beyond liberating. Later, Jim would also do house concerts that he would broadcast in real time, so we could, all over the world, enjoy concerts together. Jim Kloss is brilliant. He had done this all before Facebook, and while there were other fabulous things happening online with people connecting in different forums, there was nothing quite like Holy Radio. So I'm told. I made virtual friends then that I continue to enjoy who I met in that tribe. I feel so very blessed in so many ways in having found them and to have been so warmly received. And ah, the music. Such a rich treasure of sound I found. This turned out to be another of the many do-overs in my life. I was escorting myself through experiences to allow myself positive outcomes. This is how I have raised and healed myself. It is not enough to simply find the question to ask and hear the answer. One must walk the walk. One must inform the physical self and take one's emotional body through the experience as if it were a child and required instruction. There must also be no guarantees of a positive outcome because with a guarantee, there's no seed of courage and confidence. It has to be a bit of a risk, otherwise it is just another role. This is why it is so important for people to understand what their fears are seated in. We need these fears to know ourselves, to know we are in the mix and that we are alive. I had flown to Anchorage when I went to Talkeetna, and I treated myself to a trip down the inside passage on the Alaskan 
maritime ferry for my return trip home. I splurged and got a cabin and had a luxurious float south that docked in a little town in Washington called Bellingham. I had been to Bellingham once before on New Year's 2001 when I visited a friend who was going to graduate school at the university. In fact, I had visited the university library. There was a beautiful totem pole in the stairwell. And giving a little look about to ensure my privacy, I sidled up to it in a camp way, leaning into it affectionately, making a silent, coy request for acceptance, and in this way toyed with the idea of working there on campus. I hadn't thought on it seriously, though. Mom still needed me. We pulled into the Fairhaven dock in Bellingham early in the morning, and I was out on the deck of the prow of the ferry because it was sunny. As we pulled across Bellingham Bay through the fog to maneuver into the slip, I looked out at the gentle mist rising, allowing the sunning of the tidy little dew-glittered homes that climbed the side of the hill, and my jaw dropped over the beauty of it. I remember thinking, Brigadoon. It looked that magical to me, and my heart leapt as I thought, Oh, I want to live there, from my lips to God's ear.